Miss the show? No worries. We've got you covered on point and on the podcast. We tell our kids and we tell parents, keep your kids off the technology and less screen time. And here we are putting them on screens hours and hours a day. What is the long-term implication of that? We'll dive into that. Is the military coming back in to help in long-term care? Well, the premier is saying today in no uh, filtered language that, yes, he needs the help. And we'll talk about whether these lockdown measures will work and what are the measures, what are the rules, and what do you need to know when you wake up under lockdown. Let's get talking. Getting through to you. That's the point. You understand. There is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Are you listening? There is no confusion here. It's very simple. Stay home. Stay home. That's it. If you're questioning, should I go out? You got the answer. Stay home. Restay à la maison. That's simple. And, and, and it's very, very simple. Oh, yeah? Well, not so simple, because the stay-at-home rules aren't so clear. Alex Pearson with you on this Wednesday, January 12th. Boy, another busy news day today. Wednesdays are turning out to be a very busy news day all the time. It's uh, quite uh, something. And, of course, the news is on both sides of the border. And, yes, we will talk about the historic impeachment of Donald Trump. And um, he's now speaking out and basically saying, calm down, everybody, don't riot, don't repeat what happened last week. But yes, we'll talk about his second impeachment. We'll also talk about a bit of new news on long-term care, which has been an utter disaster, and why the military will be brought back in to save the day. But I want to start with what your day may look like tomorrow, which I think for a lot of people could be chaotic. Because for many, the new rules are just riddled with questions. And the premier clearly irritated today by this confusion with these stay-at-home orders. And I guess if you're a hermit crab, it's easy. You just stay at home. Stay home. Yeah. But if you've got a functioning life, there's a lot of people that will not know what they can or can't do or where you can or can't go when you get up in the morning. Because the message is clear. All you have to do is... There is no confusion here. Stay home. But what we don't get is clarity. We don't get clarity on what the definition of essential is. And we've got 14 million people in this province who will all see essential in a different lens because we all have different needs. What might be, you know, essential to me is not going to be essential to you. Uh, Taking a walk or maybe going for a run, that might not be essential to you, but it is to somebody else. Uh, going to the park with your kid may not seem all that important. It might seem precious or maybe, um, you know, obnoxious. But to parents, it, it is essential. And, you know, while I can work on, from home and I barely leave the house as it is, there's going to be a whole bunch of people, a majority who do work shift work or maybe own a business and simply can't stay home because they'll go broke. And, you know, when you when you talk to Doug Ford or hear what he's saying, I mean, he, he makes it sound so easy because this is what he says we can't do. Unless it's essential reason, getting food, medicine, visiting the doctors or exercise, going to work, you must, you must, I'm going to repeat that, stay home. It's the law and it will be enforced. Sadly, um, it's simply not enough for the premier to be so generic about it. Give us a list. What's the list? Exactly. Tell us exactly what you want. 
And then he says, you know, we've got to use our best judgment. But come on, he lost a finance minister who clearly had none. I made a significant error in judgment. You know, most of us feel like we are using our best judgment. You know, I think a lot of us are doing the best we can, but 11 months in, it's clear that there are a lot of people who aren't using any judgment at all, because if they were, we would not be locking down into our houses for 28 days. And I think because a lot of us are frustrated and exhausted, people will rationalize what they see as essential actions, given, you know, all of the screw-ups that have brought us to this very disastrous point. And I don't think people in charge can expect the buy-in we got, wave one, because for some, they just can't. They can't stay home because they've either lost their home or they're going to lose their home. I mean, unless you're in the public sector, you can't sit around and watch Netflix. And I can guarantee you, during this 28-day lockdown, there's not going to be any bread baking, and I don't think there's going to be pots and pans banging. And I think the person who does it will probably get shut down pretty quickly. And this morning, <coughs> pardon me, the Ford government put out a release to clarify the rules. And they can't even define essential. And they admit it. Quote, here's the quote they say. Clearly, the government of Ontario can't determine what is essential for every person in this province because each will have their own unique circumstances and regional considerations. If the government itself can't define who's essential and what's essential and what we can and can't do specifically, then there are a lot of people who are going to get up tomorrow and leave the house because they will feel like they fit the category of essential. And the premier sees all of this clearly. He says, like, the rules are there and they will be enforced. Well, hello, those who are enforcing them don't know. I mean, we are just hours away from going into these emergency measures. And the police and the bylaw officers still haven't seen what the rules are when it comes to this reopening Ontario Act. And as Matthew Pegg of the Toronto Preparedness Response admitted today, um, they can't do any enforcement until that's given to them. In order to even commence with any type of enforcement or response plan, uh, as you've heard Mayor Tory and Dr. Davila say, we need to see the actual regulations. And the regulations, of course, contain and, and represent the formal technical language and detail out all of the amended provisions of law. So until such time as we see those regulations and uh, a, number of, a number of professionals can review that, including, of course, legal services, and in the case of Toronto Police, the Toronto Police Service, uh, we don't. We simply don't know the answer to uh, to those um, to the questions you've asked. Well, okay. How, how long does that take? I mean, we are told that we'll get um, clarity tonight on the enforcement, and that and that will be given over to law enforcement's uh, units. But certainly, that's going to take a few days of having units across this province getting up to speed and telling officers, "Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. Here's what powers you have." That seems crazy to me that you ordered a 28-day shutdown, enforcement rules, but those in charge of enforcing haven't been given those rules? I mean, what the hell's going on? That can't be a last-minute decision because the implications when an officer stops someone are pretty big because we're talking about civil liberties and police overreach. So I don't know how long it's going to take them to go through those that paperwork, uh, but they're going to have to. And frankly, we have no idea when the enforcement will go in. But then you could get some overzealous officer that says, well, I'll just use my own discretion. And I think a lot of people are going to go to bed with no clue of uh, what's going to happen to them should they leave the house, believing that what they're doing is essential, only to find out that they've broken the rules. Look, the devil is always in the detail. And right now we have none. 
other than what Doug Ford today said. Restay a la maison. You know, again, simple enough on the surface. But if we don't get clarity and a very clear strategy, what we're going to get is a lot of confusion, chaos, and I think a whole lot of people getting caught up in a legal quagmire because they thought they were using good judgment only to find themselves being fined or jailed by an overzealous officer who will pass on, you know, penalizing the partiers and the real culprits and going for the low-hanging fruit like a dad rollerblading with their kid in the park. All right, so I think a lot of parents are wondering how much screen time is too much time and is this e-learning doing more harm than good? And I'm not referring to the lack of actual education and the hours that kids are getting. I'm actually talking about having them sit in front of a screen versus being live in class and then, you know, seeing a reality around them. Because, you know, as parents, we're told from day one, limit the time you allow your child on screen as much certainly as possible in their early years. And now we're doing the exact opposite, which is to park them in front of a screen for hours at a time. Paul Davies is our social networking safety expert. He joins us now. And what is the answer to that question, Paul? Every study that you will read is inconclusive as to what the right amount of time in front of a screen is. And if you look at the Canadian Pediatric Society, they'll have a certain number for ages, you know, 5 to 10 years of age. And if you look at studies around the world, they're all inconclusive. So I have a strategy, and it's based on what I, from what I've read of the studies and from what I've asked of the people that have attended my presentations in the past, and people that are frontline workers with kids uh, and mental health. And I've asked them, what is that amount of time? They're saying that during COVID, if you're looking at around four and a half to five hours a day, which in, well, say, quote unquote, normal times is excessive for a child in elementary school, uh, they're suggesting that it's going to be appropriate. And so when I look at that amount of time, if I look at a child in grade four, five, six, uh, seven, for example, I'll, I'll agree to that with a few tweaks, if you will. And I like to break mm -hmm. down my screen time in a third, third, third. So a third should be education, like school stuff. That's important, right? Right. A third, I think you should let your child be a kid because you and I were kids, and, and I call it mindlessness. Let them watch a video, let them chat with their friends, play games. I think this is all important. But then now the other third of screen time, they need to be creative. So they need to be either coding, blogging, robotics, uh, anything that gives back that allows their mind to create something on a screen so that, that five hours a day isn't pure consumption because it's the excessive consumption that is fatiguing and that is overwhelming for them. But if we can break it down, so if we do a third – in education, then we take a, a walk with the dog, we do some exercise, we get some fresh air, go back on the screen, take that other break. We have to break this up during the day because I have a unique privilege, which is I get to speak to kids every day, and now it's virtually. I get the stories from teachers, principals, and parents. They are fatigued. It's, mm -hmm. You know that some students, Alex, are leaving their schoolwork, and then during recess break, they're playing among us, so more screen time. After recess, they're back onto a screen doing more work. When that recess should be, hey, I need to just interact with someone, pick up the phone, talk to another friend, go for a walk with the dog, get some fresh air, do some exercise. We have to break up the screen time, but we cannot allow our children to be on these devices eight, nine hours a day because any expert in that field will tell you that is excessive. Yeah, I mean, well, unless the parks are closed in the next 24 hours and who knows these yeah. days what is going to be. I mean, that to me is essential is if we're going to have our kids on screen this long, um, you know, for, for, for an extended period of time, then we have to be able to get the kids to go out and explore and get adventurous in the parks. If those things shut down, I'm sure a lot of parents are just going to lose their minds because 
what I'm noticing is, and, and, and I'm not a video game person, and I'm kind of old school, but now my child is going from, he's discovered a video game because they've all got video games. And so now he's going from, um, you know, the classroom to, oh, I can't have a recess. I want to go play Sonic the Hedgehog, whereas I'm trying to push him to say, no, off the screen, go read a book, go do something, go do X, Y, and Z. Uh, but it is tough. It's tough to find the balance. It's tough because parents, uh, Alex, with all due respect, parents are too busy working, and some of them just enable their children to, that's the babysitting tool, that's great, you're out of my hair. Children mm -hmm. lack discipline. So when you said your child leaves class and plays a game, so this game that's really popular called Among Us, that's what kids are playing. So as soon as they're done class, their recess is still in front of a screen. It's up to a parent to say, hey, put that down. When we're done school and you're done dinner, Play with your friends for about 30 minutes or so, 20 minutes, and get that out of your system. You're allowed to do that, but not during the day. We need to break up that screen time. And if we do lock down parks, it's going to be a mental health crisis. And that's from the people that I speak to because these kids need to get outside. Whether they're 50 feet apart, they need to see each other. They need to walk with each other. They need to talk to each other. It is important. I'm a cyber guy. I've been in IT three decades. I've never been in front of a screen more than I have in any previous profession in technology. Now I'm in education. And now it's fatiguing me. I need to leave my mm -hmm. screen, go for a while. So everything that I communicate to kids and to you, I actually do. I take screen breaks throughout the day. I go for walks. I get exercise. I, I, I drink water like I've never drunk water before. You need to hydrate yourself throughout the day. I've, I've felt more tension headaches than I ever have in three decades of being in IT. Why? Because of that screen. So what I'm promoting about taking those screen breaks and removing yourself from a television, a phone, a tablet or computer is essential. It's essential for my mental health and for my posture and for my, my overall health. So I do it and that's why I promote it for kids to do it as well. Yeah, and, and I'm sure we'll get the data and the studies um, in the after, uh, um, you know, math of this whole thing if it ever ends. But these kids are going to be on their devices for a good long time e-learning. I mean, essentially, I think by the time we've wrapped this whole thing up, kids will have lost a year, a full year of schooling. And I don't know how you make up for that and how you then reverse trying to get them back off screens and going back to like writing and um, conversing in public. I just don't know, you know, where, where or the planning is for the aftermath of that. Well, this is where the parents have to come into play. And I keep putting a lot of pressure on parents. And it's and I, look, I do this to my 16-year-old. Take your breaks. Get outside. Remember, the communication with your friends is important. Stop being so dependent on a screen. Take those screen breaks. She continues to write, handwrite, literally every day. And I keep reminding them that we are going to get to this. We're going to go back to it. Don't get stuck in this rut that this is it forever. Because my daughter is dying to go back to school. She's in grade 11. She's dying to go back. Because for her, education mm -hmm. is a social component as well. So, yes, focus on your studies. But that human interaction is important. So I keep telling her, Keep your eye on the prize. It's, it's coming. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of time, but stay focused. That's my job as a father who's incredibly, incredibly busy yeah. to keep her focused. That's our job as parents, Alex. Albeit, I would think that there are different risks for different ages. I mean, obviously, the younger kids really have a hard time focusing, but they're just kind of glued to the screen and, and pressing all the buttons and all the rest of it. Uh, but for the high school kids, it's a different, there's a different danger, and that is like the, the kind of going into the online world and just not leaving that. That's their social network. It is, but it, one thing that I found interesting is that a lot of them crave human interaction now. So, yeah, they are yeah. kind of stuck in that rut, but a lot of the high schoolers I've spoken to really do crave human interaction. That gives me a lot of hope because they, they have always seen that that technology is a bridge for communication, 
and it was a convenience. Now it's a necessity in order to communicate, but they actually miss getting together, chatting at lunch, walking at recess. Like they really do miss it. And a lot, and mm-hmm. the majority have stated that to me, which gives me a lot of hope that when we go back to normality, that it won't be that much of a transition, that the majority of them will actually fall back into place. You mean they'll be like us as kids? You know, go out, play, talk to each other. I mean, maybe there is a a silver line. I I really do have faith in that. Well, uh, from your lips to God's ears, I hope you're right on that. Maybe they'll be so disgusted and grossed out by technology, they'll put it down for a good long time. Nonetheless, Paul, appreciate your thoughts. We'll talk again. My pleasure. Thank you. Paul Davies joining us here. Uh, The one thing I have a regret of is, boy, why didn't I buy stock in video game companies? Because they are just booming right now colleague and friend of mine uh, got into that gaming world and boy it's just monstrous right now because that's what the kids are doing all right when we come back what are you waking up to what are your rights what do you need to know and where's the clarity on rules that really haven't even been written we'll talk about that in just a second because tomorrow well when you wake up we are into a whole new world of lockdown measures stay with us on point i'm alex pearson this is global news radio i just got off the phone with the prime minister before I came out here an hour ago or so, and uh, he's offered that up. We'll take all the help we can get. I never refuse help. If it's the military, if it's the Red Cross, if it's anyone. That is the Premier uh, talking uh, this morning. I mean, it's pretty clear that the Iron Ring uh, doesn't exist as we pass the 200 mark of deaths in long-term care here in the province in just the first two weeks of this month. And the modeling released Tuesday, of course, suggests deaths are going to be far higher in this second wave for the most vulnerable. And no matter what changes to the rules we've been putting in place, the virus is still getting into care homes, as we've got now 40% of homes in active outbreaks. And so the Premier and Prime Minister spoke today and the prime minister is again offering up the military to come and help. And it doesn't, um, and it looks like right now it's not a done deal, but the premier sounds like he's going to take the help. Question is, why are we at this point again? Laura Tamblin Watts is CEO of CanAge. She joins us now. And maybe you can answer um, how we got to this point again when we had so much time to prepare against it. You know, Ontario did learn what they needed to do but it did not take the steps necessary. And we were calling into the wind saying the second wave is going to be more deadly than the first. And we are living that right now. In the first wave, we lost uh, tragically about 1,800 vulnerable residents. We are on track right now, even with the target date of February 15th for all long-term care home residents to be vaccinated, to lose about 2,600 residents. It's unconscionable that we haven't taken the steps that we need. But why? I mean, something as simple as, you know, workers going home to home, why is that still happening? I mean, unless it's changed all of a sudden, but that should have stopped months ago. It never should have been a thing to begin with, but why weren't simple corrective measures taken to stop that part of the spread? You know, when we think about the, the pieces that go into fixing this issue on an urgent basis, they were both well known and agreed upon by really all parties, which was significantly do staff hiring and training over the summer, like Quebec and BC did. Make sure that you get 
kind of a SWAT team, an urgent response team going into homes to match up with in-home infection prevention and control, like New Brunswick did, and make sure that we have rapid testing, screening at the door Mm -hmm. for everyone who works, visits, and is living in long-term care. And really, none of those things were done in Ontario. Why is the question to ask, but we know that it wasn't done. Yeah, and I again, these are steps that um, Taiwan did very, very early, and that's why they had such success um, beating this virus, is because they were so aggressive on simple things like tracing and testing, things that we are just now starting to roll out. And, and by now, as you well know, it's far, far too late. The damage is done, um, and, and the loss will be, I think, uh, greater. But now we're going to, what, see security guards put in place to make sure that staff are getting tested again how is it possible, and I'm not blaming the staff, but how is it possible we don't have a system in place that they are getting the rapid testing as, you know, before they enter these facilities? Well, the simple answer is this. This government has consistently prioritized acute care over long-term care. That was done from the very first steps when PPE was not made available, specifically and publicly not made available to long-term care, and it was being stockpiled in acute care. We knew that staffing requirements were needed in long-term care, but they were not provided because staffing had to be conserved apparently for acute care when the halls were almost empty in some cases. And we see this again with testing and vaccinations. We've consistently prioritized our acute care system over the long-term care system, and that has led to spreads and deaths. Yeah, and we will get the elderly and most vulnerable, apparently, um, um, given a vaccination by, I think the goal is January 21st. But uh, again, it should have been, in my mind, those should have been the first people done uh, already. But will that, in fact, help? I mean, will that stave off a lot of, um, of deaths? Every vaccine helps. There's no question. The date that we're working with right now is February 15th. And that's three weeks later than we were hoping for. And that's due to some both vaccine supply, but also where the location of that vaccine is. Just today, we found out that some vaccine is being moved away from hospitals where frontline staff were still getting it. But then we were seeing that folks in hospitals who were not on the front line, like researchers and administrators, were also getting it ahead of those most vulnerable long-term care. So we understand that that is being corrected now. Why do stupid things need to be corrected? It goes without saying that if you're in administration, if you're in a in a an office job, you'll get your vaccination. But it has to go to the frontline workers and the most vulnerable. I don't even understand how that kind of uh, stupidity happens. But it is um, yet again a problem we'll throw on the pile. And so the the I guess the working motion now is to get the military back. Do you get the sense that that is going to happen? And how much? How many will we need at what facilities? So we got five, then seven in the first round, and it wasn't because we only needed that many. That was just what the resources were available. They were in more than 25 in Quebec. So it wasn't that it was only so bad in five and then two more were added. Right. Actually, it was quite widespread. You know, there are, you know, there are double digits of homes that could use the help right now in Ontario alone, whether that help comes from the military, the Red Cross or others. It is astonishing that the premier has been hesitating to take help that was offered. We know it was offered as, you know, 
about last week we know that it was very specifically offered. And we've heard the flip-flop on this. So even now, we still do not know definitively if the acceptance of the help has been concluded. We are just uncertain what is going to come, but we know it better come soon. Yeah, I mean, some of the stories that we are hearing are, are not just disgusting. They're cruel. I mean, it's, it's inhumane. We, we have residents without water. We have residents who are not fed. We have staff which have been working off their feet for now 10 months, sometimes working around the clock, sometimes not being able to go home. And we haven't taken basic steps that would allow those folks to be safe. So, you know, right now we could make a couple of key changes. Tomorrow we could make these yeah. changes. We could make staff housing available so that people can rest and not infect their family. We can make sure that rapid testing is prioritized right now. And, you know, our epidemiological friends are saying that, you know, these particular, quote, restrictions that have just been put in are not what we need. We need to see a significant reduction in gatherings and we need to see stores be reduced to a 20 percent capacity rather than a 50 percent capacity. Well, they're taking too much time and doing too much tinkering and then flip-flopping, and it's costing people lives. Laura, we will have you on again, and hopefully uh, we will have better news to share, but sadly, it doesn't seem to be coming fast enough. I appreciate your time. Thank you. I know that essential means different things to different people. We have 15 million people in Ontario, each with their own individual circumstances. So we need everyone to use their best judgment If you're not sure if a trip is absolutely essential, it probably isn't. All right, great to have you here on this Wednesday. But what does your Thursday look like when you wake up? Because the reality we know now won't be our reality in just a few hours. And I have an appointment at the dentist at 8 a.m. That appointment's still booked. Should I expect it to be uh, canceled or pulled over because that's not essential? I think it's essential. It should be essential, but I guess I'll find out in the morning. Because what is clear about these lockdown orders is that they're not really clear. And when we don't get clarity on rules, we get a lot of confusion that can quickly turn into chaos. And the you know Ford government itself has been asked for clarity on what is essential. And they themselves admit when it comes to work, trips, or even tasks, what is essential for every person in this province will be different for everybody else because everybody has their own circumstances and it changes region to region. Alex Vesna is CEO of Prepared Canada Corp and is a has a graduate degree in disaster and emergency management. Good to have you, Alex. You know emergency preparedness. Are these next 28 days, um, you know, in your mind, is this what you would have done for emergency preparedness on this thing? Um, given the circumstances we have right now, not exactly. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't exactly have done this, to be sure. Uh, okay, so so let's yeah. look at the deck of cards we have been given. What would you advise the premier to do? Okay, uh, it's uh, I, I would I would have had to have gone back in time and changed a few things to get to this point. To be honest, um, ideally at, at at this point, what we'd be doing is working with uh, most of the private sector to revolutionize really i don't know if revolutionize is the right word but uh do uh 20 years of the learning uh since uh since sars in a very short time span because right now frankly the private sector is very very motivated to do a lot of learning on the uh on the public health and pandemic side 
and mm-hmm. uh, they've been trying to put together uh, huge amounts of work that's ready for a, reg- a regulatory body like uh, Canadian Standards Association to take and then overhaul the way they handle things to make things safer. But uh, it's a lot of work, and the government doesn't have a lot of uh, a lot of time for it right now, and it's kind of uh, dying in the water. So, you know, I, I'd have a bigger focus there because there's a lot of work that we need to do to make things safer in general going forward, and the private sector is motivated to do it, and it's not going to be motivated for much longer. Yeah, and they're motivated to do it because they have the most to lose. I mean, there's not going to be a government propping them up uh, forever, um, and, and certainly they didn't ask for this, but they have had to pivot and done so very quickly and have tried to do everything they can only to find themselves constantly shut down time and time and time again. I mean, we're going into these new lockdown measures, but let's be honest, we have been in these shutdown restrictions since, what, November? It's been so long now, I actually forget how long we've been locked down, but there are going to be an awful lot of people who wait wake up tomorrow. Um, let's say I'll use my husband, for example. He's considered essential, um, but he's a sales guy, so he's going to be on the road. And I said, are you going on the road tomorrow? And he said, yeah, I have to do my job. But there are other people who will say, well, that's not essential. He should just, as Doug Ford says, stay at home. Yeah, actually, I heard that too today. I was a bit surprised uh, the way he answered that. He he does what he does sometimes where he goes off a script. Uh, when I say he, I'm speaking of the premier mm-hmm. at this point, he goes off script sometimes right at the end of... Uh, you know, the press conferences, and you can sometimes see behind him the uh, the other ministers going, oh, no, please don't say it, please don't say it, because you, you know the risk <laughs> when you go off script when you're in, in a press conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he, he in, in, in part, uh, advised uh, people in, in the public to, if you were basically, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but if you look at the uh, Global News um, uh, taping of the press conference the last 15 or so seconds on YouTube, you'll find it. Uh, he basically said that if you're asking the question as to whether or not uh, you should stay at home, then stay at home, uh, which, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think people should be taking as legal or employment advice because there are some people who are in unique situations who are asking that question that should actually be going to work. Uh, and frankly, I know that we have limited time, uh, and I know that you, you and your listeners have tons of questions. So if you want to rapid fire, just go through specific situations or ideas that I can just answer yeah. bluntly and, and clearly as possible. I'll just I'll do it. Well, look, I've got a dentist appointment that was scheduled for Thursday, 8 a.m. You know, some people would say, well, is it really essential? And I'd say, well, I probably could live with the pain for for a little bit longer. But, I mean, for all I know, I could have a cavity or something wrong. So for me, it's essential that I get whatever's going on fixed in the morning. But there's going to be a lot of people like me who deem what they had scheduled for Thursday is considered essential. Okay, so dentist appointment specifically. Uh, if the dental office is still open tomorrow, which it should be, especially because that's a medical appointment and uh, dental things can get worse. And if you have pain now, we don't want that to turn into uh, a worse situation from bacteria growth or something. If it's still scheduled tomorrow and you should go in, you should do it because, frankly, uh, it helps prevent a worse condition by getting it handled early. That's one of the reasons why uh, dental offices were opened earliest uh, or earlier than a lot of other things. Uh, last uh, last spring, so that's one. Um, do you what, what's next? But there's but there's also people who will say, look, I mean, I, if I don't get paid, I have to go to work. So I would consider my essential myself essential. And okay. what do those people do? Okay, so there's a broader question here that people are going to be very confused about, and I think I'm going to try to answer this best I can. And you're going to tell me to uh, apply the kiss principle, but I'll try my best. So um, 
there are it was it was explained to people and actually if you look at the Ontario framework that should be publicly available now um, if you look on page eight of it um, there's the government's instruction on work from home except where necessary and what mm -hmm. they've done is it's not about whether your workplace is essential or not it's whether you are essential or not and this is actually from the perspective of the employer and we can get into the loophole debate of this but just for people to understand what they're doing tomorrow uh, think about it this way you are either absolutely necessary for your business to run um, with with you at your work or you're not so if you are if they need you on location in order to run then you're essential to the business if the business is open tomorrow and you're essential to it then you're going into work if the business is not open then no you're not open no one's going in if you're part of an essential service but you're not essential to that service then they're supposed to find a way to have you work from home if you're not not part of an essential service same thing if you're not essential to it, you're supposed to find a way to work from home. If you are essential to it and they are running, then you're able to go in. So it's not about whether or not the business is essential. It's about whether you are. Some some parts of, uh, some businesses also call this critical staff. Some parts of this call uh, businesses call this essential staff. Another way to think about this: if you worked from home in March or April, and you're going into work now, and the government uh, inspects the business and they find that out there's going to be questions as to why you're essential now and you weren't then if your job description in the business largely hasn't changed yeah I mean look it's, it's as clear as mud because the situation people are facing in first wave versus second wave is a lot different a lot more money was coming out and stability was coming out and now a lot of people are hitting the wall saying look I can't not work because there are no um, CERB programs, there's no money coming out, and there's no assurance from their employer that the job's going to last. So, you know, comparing wave one of what we did in the spring to what we're doing now for a lot of people is just impossible because they're tired, they're broke, and a lot of people are feeling desperate. Keep in mind also, and, and just because I want to I make sure people understand the framing of this, the regulation here, or the, the instruction, is that the workplace shall ensure that the person... Uh, performs their work from home remotely, not that they go home without working. So the expectation from this regulation is that you're still paid, but you're able to perform work remotely. So if this is being done in such a way where the person isn't working, um, as opposed to they're working remotely, I think that's against the spirit of the way this is written. Now, one, now disclaimer here to be careful, just so I, I know I'm good. Uh, I am not a lawyer, and this is not legal advice, and I highly recommend you guys bring this up with uh, any one of the number of wonderful labor lawyers that you have on your on your uh, on your on your platform, because yeah. they they are really curious about these lines, as far as I'm aware. So, but in, in, in general, as for what you're supposed to do tomorrow, it, once again, it's about whether or not you are essential on-site to the business. If you are necessary to be there in person to do something, that's one thing. If you're not, there's going to be questions, but that's basically what it is. Hopefully that's... Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I think what we're going to have is a whole lot of questions and a whole lot of loopholes and a whole lot of people doing exactly what we've been doing for the last uh, few weeks. And um, the results, I think, will continue as we have seen because we keep just repeating measures that are not making a difference in solving the real crisis. Well, look, I, I, in general, I, I agree. Uh, two things very quick because I think it's important for people to realize. These regulations basically just came out, and there are multiple municipalities that are still looking through this and going, okay, what does this mean? Because they have to mm -hmm. move very, very fast, and these are general mm -hmm. enough. 
where the city solicitors are going, uh, what? So, so you know, it's not just the the private sector who is kind of reeling from this. So, you know, I, I'm not going to say, um, you know, be extra nice to, to, to your government because a lot of people are just not going to be receptive to that. But the, the reality is that everyone's just kind of going, what is this thing right now? Uh, because yeah. a lot of this is really vague and shouldn't be. But that's the first thing. Second thing, I have uh, quite a few people uh, that I know. Um, yeah, okay, I'll say clients for this. This one's fine. So I have quite a few clients that affect or contractors that work for critical infrastructure who have no idea whether or not they're sending their staff in tomorrow or not because mm -hmm. they work at the business, but they're not hired directly under it. So there mm -hmm. are actually huge business impacts for people who work for critical infrastructure, and I've been navigating this all day and all yesterday. So I appreciate how difficult this is, and a lot of people uh, who run cities appreciate how difficult this is. So you're definitely not alone with irritation at how confusing this is. Stay tuned. I think we're screwed. Yeah. All right, Alex. <laughs> Always appreciate your time on this, so thanks. No problem. Anytime. Alex Vesna with uh, Prepared Canada Corp. And, uh, again, I think there's going to be a, a whole lot of foggy water, uh, foggy, uh, uh, um, you know, around these rules for quite some time. So we'll... Stay tuned. All right, when we come back, we're obviously not going to school for a long time, which means more screen time. And as parents, we're told no screen time. Keep your kids off the screen, and now all we're doing is putting them on the screen. And what is the long-term damage? Well, we'll talk about that next here on Point on Global News Radio. You, of course, can join us Monday through Friday starting 6.30 sharp here on Point. Alex Pearson, this is Global News Radio.